The following podcast is for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed therein are not necessarily those of Canal Insurance Company. This information is not designed to replace, substitute, or supplement our client's independent obligation to comply with any laws or regulations. Listeners should complete their own independent research in creation and development of their company's risk management and safety programs. Welcome to episode two of the Hauling Notes podcast by Canal Insurance Company. I'm Marty Maroney, Director of Risk Management Services at Canal. This week's guest is Paul Green, Assistant Vice President of the Complex Case Unit at Canal Insurance Company. The Complex Case Unit at Canal, as its name suggests, handles higher value, more complex claims. These claims often involve fatalities, catastrophic injury, and are frequently in litigation. Paul's team is a mix of seasoned claims professionals and attorneys who bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table in handling these difficult claims. Paul is also an attorney who previously worked for a large firm in Greenville and handled a variety of civil litigation. In my conversation with Paul, we discussed the ins and outs of claim reporting and how to best handle complex claims you may encounter. Paul and I hit on the importance of accurately and quickly reporting claims, the top things truckers should and should not do at the scene of an accident, and what to expect if you're sued, and much more. Now let's get rolling. This morning, I'm joined with Paul Green. Paul Green's uh, Associate Vice President of Complex Case Unit at Canal Insurance. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Morning, morning. I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Paul? Oh, gosh. Um, where to start? I, uh, I have been with Canal, I guess, a little over four years now. Came over um, to Canal as a in-house lawyer having practiced in Greenville doing all sorts of defense side litigation for a dozen years or so um, after about a year on the legal side I moved over to the claims side and uh, have been working with our team on the complex case unit kind of managing um, some of our larger more complicated claims since that time well, that's great we're glad to have you and I enjoy working with you appreciate your time today as well sure so this morning we really Likewise. want to we really want to talk about uh, the importance of claim reporting and why that's important. And uh, you see a lot of things that you know it's happened to me in grocery stores and things like that. Bumpers will meet and everybody says, "Hey, no problem, we go away." Um, but what can happen, especially with our professional trucking community, if we even a minor claim or a larger claim? And we don't report it. Why is that important that we do that? It, it, because it will make me not get more gray hair, which is probably the most important thing. Now, in all seriousness, it is the biggest difference between the scenario you described and the claims that we deal with day in, day out, are that the ones that our insureds, our clients are involved in, just very rarely go away, unfortunately. Um, We've got some really bright and really good claims professionals who know how to investigate and know how to work up a claim, but they can only do that if they know about it. Um, and so, you know, uh, 
professional driver listening who says, oh, it's no big deal, it'll go away, again, let me, let me remind you that they don't go away. But the most important thing uh, about reporting it early is information disappears. Um, the witness who was in the parking lot at the truck stop who saw it happen, that witness is gone by the time we know about it if we don't know about it quickly. The security camera that was filming um, from the corner store at the intersection where you had the accident, a few days later that tape is overwritten and that evidence is gone forever. Um, so if we know about it quickly, we can get out there quickly. We can find that evidence that may be the one key piece between it being a really serious claim that we got to spend a lot of money on and being something that we send the other side a note that says don't even try and we shut it down. Um, so we got to know about it immediately. It just lets us uh, do our job that quickly. That's great. Yeah, evidence does disappear quickly. Witnesses disappear and Sometimes stories change as well, as we learn. How about this scenario? I'm a trucking professional. I'm going down I-85, doing everything perfect. I'm in speed limit. Everything's good, and I get rear-ended. And it's no fault of my own. Um, and there's a, a, I notice a passenger is taken in the other vehicle is taken to the hospital. But please tell me I did nothing wrong. Um, I'm good. Why? How can that come back to hurt me? Why? Why should I report that accident? I wasn't at fault. That that is an, uh, a scenario that we see, unfortunately, all too often. Um, it is not the determination of the police officer or of the witnesses or whoever about who's at fault that matters. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of the day, that's a determination for a jury or a judge, and the fact that everyone there thinks you weren't at fault is not going to stop that person who rear-ended you from bringing a claim. The fact of the matter is most of the time, our clients, our insurance are not at fault and the claim comes anyway. Uh, it doesn't take uh, much watching daytime TV or uh, driving down the road and seeing billboards to know that um, unfortunately, uh, truck drivers are a target right now for litigation. And so any, any, you can never safely assume that a uh, potential claim is going to go away. They will pop up. And, you know, in the scenario you described again, um, if that one doesn't get reported, then the, um, evidence that we have that would support the fact that our guy wasn't at fault disappears. The, um, data on the uh, truck's onboard computer gets overwritten or on the GPS system, it goes away. Um, any evidence that was maybe in the claimant vehicle that it was speeding or that they were on their phone, that evidence may disappear. All of those things that allow us to um, kind of load the gun if anyone pops up and say, don't come after us, we weren't at fault, all of that is gone. So even if you assume you're not at fault, even if law enforcement says you're not at fault, Law enforcement can say that all day long. That really isn't going to matter when the claim is presented. Right. Well, thank you for explaining that to us, too. Uh, just another caveat to that. Uh, what it, just same thing. I, I've, I've seen this uh, time and time before, too. Same scenario, rear-ended. Not uh, Everyone says, hey, you did nothing wrong. They did a DOT inspection of the truck, and, yeah, it, it didn't have anything to do with the accident, but we noticed your brakes are a little bit over the line or your tape's a little bit um, clouded up or your tires are just slightly, you know, um, out of violation. Um, even though we did nothing wrong, have you seen where something like that could be used 
in a in an accident or uh, a team? Absolutely, it is. Um, we see a lot of what we refer to as a one bad fact claim, where everything is perfect, but for one little thing like you're describing. Um, you know, our flashers weren't on, and maybe by regulation they should have been. Um, some states operate on a pure comparative negligence basis, where one percent fault. Uh, they can recover. And so if you've got a significant accident um, and the truck driver's only 1% at fault, that can still wind up being a significant claim. So the folks who are presenting these claims and the folks who represent them are looking for something, something, anything that they can hang their hat on. Um, We talk a lot about the reptile theory, and this is a, a strategy that the other side uses to Uh, enhance these claims. It's all about the perception of public and community safety. And, you know, there have been plenty of claims that have gotten a lot of headlines where really at the scene, nobody would have said the truck driver did anything wrong, but they pursue this theory to show basically a death by a thousand cuts. You've got a couple of safety violations. You've got, um, you know, maybe an out-of-service notice. You've got your MVR maybe isn't as clean as it could have been, and a few years ago you were involved in a similar accident. All of those things they want to build up to make this one claim that's pretty innocuous seem like a much bigger deal than it is. Wow, that's uh, it's amazing. Now, something that has nothing to do with the actual events of the accident itself can be used against you and really blow into something big. So uh, the key sure. here is uh, definitely... Just report it and report it quickly, no matter if you're at fault or not. Uh, how about, what are, what are some, maybe a few things that a driver should do at an accident scene? What would you suggest there? Uh, well, I mean, most importantly is, is, is make sure you're safe. Make sure your truck is secured, your cargo and all that. Um, you obviously don't want to make a bad situation worse or put yourself into more danger. Um, we've seen claims where there's a second accident after the first because you know, someone gets out of the vehicle, steps into traffic, things of that nature. So you don't want that situation to arise. Um, going back to the thing that we let off with, that bump in the grocery store parking lot or the truck stop parking lot, go ahead and call law enforcement to the scene, even if it's minor. Um, it, it's amazing how stories change and how obvious the obvious physical evidence is is disputed by somebody who decides they want to uh, pursue a claim later. So get law enforcement out there. Um, their word and their report isn't always going to be the gospel here, but it's more evidence to show uh, what was happening at the scene at the time. Um, you want to call back to dispatch. If you've got a dispatcher, let them know what happened. Let them know you've been in an accident. And to our earlier point that we harp on a lot, tell them to give us a call. Um, they need to call Canal or whoever the insurance company is and let them know about the claim. A lot of times we get claims that get reported to someone else. Um, some a driver maybe calls the safety manager or uh, the safety manager calls their agent, um, but we never hear about that claim. Again, we can't do anything about it unless we know. So all of our insureds have uh, packets in their cab that have the claims number on it. You call that 24 hours a day, you get to a claims person. Um, So make sure it gets reported to us. Uh, Assuming it's safe to do so, assuming, um, you know, you're not injured or there's not significant um, 
injuries to anyone else going on, preserve evidence. You know, grab grab that dash cam, GPS, if you still have paper logs or anything like that, bill of lading, get that information. That's evidence in the case, um, and it can tend to go missing uh, if it's not immediately secured. Um, take pictures. That's evidence, too. Everybody these days has a phone that's got a camera on it. Um, you don't want to document carnage. Um, that's not something that is helpful, but taking pictures of impact points of where the vehicles came to rest. If you've got, you know, a claimant out walking around, uh, moving stuff, all of that, a couple of pictures of that are going to be really helpful when six months later they say they can't stand and they were unconscious at the scene. I don't mean to say that lightly. That happens all the time. So any of that evidence you can get uh, is very helpful. Um, If there's witnesses around, if you see somebody who says, oh my gosh, I saw that person pull out in front of you, get a business card from them. Um, Those are the types of things that we can pursue, that our claims professionals can pursue after the fact. Um, And if by regulation it's a... um, it's an accident where you need to get tested. If it's a uh, fatal accident or if you get sighted and there's an injury or a disabled vehicle, you need to get your alcohol and drug testing done uh, right away um, without getting too deep in the weeds on the legal side of it. If you don't, um, a judge can wind up telling the jury that they're entitled to believe the reason you didn't do that is because it would have shown something bad. So. Um, go ahead and get that done. And if you've reported it, you'll be working with one of our claims professionals who will help get you somewhere where that can happen. So that's kind of the top five-ish list of things you definitely ought to do uh, at the scene. That's great advice. Uh, One other thing, and I I hate to even bring this up, but I've heard that it happens. Let's say you you hit a vehicle, a van, or a public, or it was not hit, let's just say there's an incident with a public transportation type vehicle or a larger vehicle that's uh, uh, capable of uh, carrying passengers, is it, is it important to kind of document, you know, how many people you see in that vehicle? Absolutely. We, uh, <laughs> we I shouldn't laugh. It, it's really not funny. It's more sad. But all the time we have situations where people claim to be in vehicles they aren't in. Um, or claim injuries when at the scene no one claimed injuries. So yes, by all means, if it's a there's a minibus or a, um, any kind of public transportation or even a vehicle that has a couple of passengers, you need to note how many passengers there are. Um, if you see a vehicle with a couple of folks in it, you know it, there's no harm in noting that there's two people in there and a brief description of each. Uh, We have literally seen claims where there are substitute plaintiffs who come in and say they were in the vehicle and claim injury. Um, Not everyone out there is trying to pull a scam, but it does happen. And so for sure, if you see, you know, if you're involved in an incident with a, with a tour bus, I get there's not a lot of those running these days, but if you are and you see 20 people filing off the bus and talking on the phones and all that, make a note, take a picture of how many people they are. And um, you don't necessarily need to give opinions about what's going on, but just document it. That's a fact that's helpful to us later. Well, that's great advice. Yeah, I hate to see that, but I've seen uh, on news and other uh, uh, events where they'll have like a city bus or something like that, and you'll see the, the events of the accident, and then you see people actually coming onto the bus right before the medical professionals and the police uh, professionals arrive. And 
that really uh, exactly cloud up a claim really quick. Great. I'll just uh, talk about the number real quick. The number that Paul is talking about and it's very important to Canal Insurance is you report claims immediately, no matter how small or if you're not at, if you don't feel you're at fault. That number is eight 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 two four seven four four two four, and that's very important. Just like Paul said, the quicker we can get that in. Uh, the quicker we can uh, work for you and uh, and get the best outcome we can for you. Uh, what are some, so let's switch it up a little bit. What are top five things a driver should never do at a scene? <laughs> um, and unfortunately, all of these are uh, from experience. These are things that we see. I, I would say the number one, the most important thing is um, don't leave the scene um, all too often. We have, again, a situation where someone thinks they weren't at fault or, you know, sometimes they don't even know they've been in an accident. But trying to put that toothpaste back in the tube after the fact when they're saying it was a hit and run and you fled the scene is is really puts us in a spot. So don't leave the scene until you're cleared uh, by law enforcement, until the responding officer says, okay, you can go, assuming your vehicle is drivable don't leave the scene and by that point again since you've reported it to us you've been in touch with our folks and you getting advice from them um i would say number two is uh, don't get in arguments with anyone you don't want to be arguing with the person who hits you you don't want to be arguing with law enforcement um we have seen these things escalate and the best thing you can do is just stay as calm as you can under the circumstances and let the professionals do their jobs um I talked earlier about facts. There's a big difference between facts and opinions. Um, if the law enforcement responds, you'll be talking to law enforcement. The best thing you can do is to give facts about what happened. Uh, you want to stay away from giving opinions about, uh, well, I think he was speeding. You know, if you if you know he was speeding, if you're going 60 miles an hour and someone flies past you, that's a fact. You can say that, but you want to stick to what you actually know um, and what you actually saw and what there's evidence about. So don't guess. Um, when I practice as a lawyer, I would routinely tell witnesses that who are sworn to tell the truth, sometimes the truth is I don't know. Um, that's truer than trying to figure it out. Um, we talked about preserving evidence. Obviously, the opposite of that is something you should never do. Um, don't destroy anything. Don't, you know, don't shred your logs or throw your dash cam in the woods because you know it's going to be bad. All of those things come back to bite you. Uh, after the fact, and in some instances that can even be uh, criminal. So don't don't destroy anything there. Um, just preserve it, hang on to it, and at some point someone will need to get it from you. Um, and and lastly, I, we've already hit on this, and you know we'll hit on it again. But don't assume since it wasn't your fault, you don't need to tell anybody about it. Um, always report it. Always call us um, and let us know and. Even if it's not your fault at the end of the day, um, that'll bear out. But uh, don't 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 refuse to call us because you assume that you know we're going to pay money or we're going to do something just to get rid of it. Um, I think that's a pretty common conversation we have. We we have an interest in uh, paying reasonable amounts on valid claims. Um, we certainly have no interest in paying amounts of money on claims that are not valid. So. We're in that one together. 
Well, that's a great advice. Going back to the sticking to the facts, uh, how about this scenario? And and we, as humans, we always you know, want to do good for each other and, and things of that nature. But let's say I'm driving down the, the road, I'm within speed limit and everything, and someone pulls right out in front of me. And my first reaction is I go to check to see if they're all right. And what about statements like, boy, I wish I could have slowed down a little bit. Um, I saw you, you know, but and, and I wish I just would have hit the brakes a little bit earlier or, or things of just trying to make it um, a better at the scene. You're feeling sorry for them. But and the real fact is there was nothing you could have done, right? So you're you're within your speed limit and they pull right out. So should we kind of watch what we say at the scene, even though we feel sorry for somebody? You should, and I and I hate to get uh, too detached from that human instinct that you talked about. I mean, everybody's a person. Everybody's got that natural reaction. Even if it's not your fault, you can still feel bad that somebody's hurt. I'm not going to tell you not to feel that way. I will say that you should probably act as if everything you're doing and saying is being recorded. Um, and may come back later on. So to your point, if you say, gosh, I I just didn't even see you, if only I could have slowed down, well, again, you assume that's being recorded. Um, Someday down the road, that's going to come back, and and some lawyer for the person who pulled out in front of you is going to say, now, you're a professional driver, aren't you? And, and, And you even acknowledged at the scene that you could have done better here, didn't you? So that's the type of thing that it becomes that one bad fact claim we're talking about. Um, It doesn't mean you can't be uh, sympathetic. It doesn't mean you can't uh, call for medical uh, attention for somebody who needs it. Um, You know, not to get too into semantics, but there's a big difference between saying, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened, and saying, if only I had slowed down. Those are two different statements. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably not being recorded, but I think if you if you act like in your head it is being recorded and could come back, maybe maybe you can choose your words a little more deliberately and a little more carefully. Well, that's great advice. Appreciate that. I think we touched a little bit earlier about the, you, you mentioned it, the reptile theory, but what can a trucking company uh, do to avoid being, you know, put in a light that they're just a real evil company? What kind of things can they do? Well, it's, you know, and, and part of it is, is the type of thing that you do on a daily basis, Marty. It's, it's that safety culture. Um, the, the, if you understand that the reptile theory is based on trying to make jurors feel unsafe and to appeal to that primal instinct to feel safe in your community, then the opposite of that is safety. Um, have a safety program. Uh, talk to your drivers, or if you're a driver, understand that you're a professional and it's a serious responsibility. Um, have a safety program and most importantly, follow it. Um, all too often, we see a safety program that's a piece of paper. Uh, and then push comes to shove, it's almost worse to have it and not follow it. So have one and follow it. We see uh, trucking companies who do a fantastic job, top to bottom, of preaching safety. And that's that's everything from you know following the regulations and the traffic laws to just the way you approach your job. Um, you know, we have... Uh, our, our client base are professional drivers. Um, 
the vast, vast majority of them are very, very good at what they do. Um, they do yeoman's work keeping this country going. It's never been more obvious than right now. Um, and, you know, we've talked about whether the role that our truck drivers have played in keeping the country going will kind of change the perception. But, um, you know, professional truck drivers act like professionals. Um, you know, you take that duty seriously. Uh, you don't text on your phone or play on your phone while you're driving because that's not something that a professional does. Um, I, personally, I want our truck drivers, I want our insureds to tell the community about what they do. I want them to understand how hard our clients work uh, to make sure things are delivered timely and safely. I want under, them to understand the day in the life of a truck driver. Um, to counter that kind of negative narrative about trucking companies, we got to put a, uh, the real face on it, um, that these are professionals who are working hard to keep this country moving. Um, and the vast, vast majority of the time are doing it very safely. So, you know, carry that outward appearance that you feel, um, and project that professionalism that we, we know they have. These uh, folks who are coming after our industry, they paint with a real broad brush. You know, they say all trucks are 80,000 pound death missiles. And again, that's just not the case. And we've got to do a better job uh, from our end and all the way top to bottom in the trucking industry of, of showing that that's not the case. But that, that begins with safety. Um, and living it, acting it uh, all day, every day. That's great advice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, our trucking professionals deserve a lot more credit than they've been given in the past. It's uh, really come to light how valuable they are to all of us and what an important job they do. Another point, too, you made us, if you, a trucking company has a safety program and it's all in writing and everything, and then uh, let's say that I work for a, a one of our uh, for a trucking operation and I got a speeding violation of 15 miles an hour or more and my guidelines for the company I work for say that I will be suspended for 10 days but that didn't happen um, how can that hurt um, if I'm let's go let's tie that back in that first example I'm driving down I-85 and I get rear-ended it's not my fault at all but but I did have this incident a while back and it doesn't appear that um, those rules were followed through um, on me. What what can yeah. happen with a claim like that? Well, and that's that's following that safety program is critical because it, it doesn't take much imagination to imagine, and and we see it regularly that that uh, piece of paper that says you'll be suspended, but then you're not. Well, all of a sudden, even if it's immaterial to the claim all of a sudden it gives our adversary something to cling to, to talk about how that company is not safe. That company ignored its own safety protocols and put this driver back out, out on the road, this driver that they knew was unsafe. You can tell that I've heard this speech a few times, so I'm channeling my inner uh, uh, plaintiff's lawyer in saying that, but that's, that's what it gets us. If you have a policy and you don't follow it, that's almost worse than not having a policy at all. So it, it's it's inconvenient, but but frankly, what what it leads to is is drafting more thoughtful policies. You've got to 
uh, come up with a safety program that, that works and that promotes a safety culture top to bottom in your organization, but th- that's also one that you can follow. Uh, it's real easy to draft one that says, you know, the first instance of five miles over speeding, you're terminated. <laughs> Practically speaking, that's not realistic and that's not going to work real well. So, so you got to you gotta follow the safety program that you have in place because if you don't, it's just one more uh, rock to throw at you down the road. Well, that's great. Thank you for clearing that up. It, uh, it unfortunately, it happens a lot, and it can turn something that's uh, really defendable it into a, a tough scenario for us too. Let's jump to the. We're getting. Uh, what can a trucking company do if they get sued? What can they expect when they receive those um, papers? They can expect that. Uh, first and foremost, it's going to last a lot longer than they want it to. Um, as as an outside lawyer, uh, I often lost sight of the fact, and I tried not to, but I lost sight of the fact that that's something I dealt with every day. Um, and most uh, trucking companies will never see a lawsuit. Um, and the ones that do aren't going to see many. Uh, they may see one. And that is maybe the most monumental thing going, certainly in your business life at that time. Um, it's going to occupy a lot of your energy and a lot of your attention. But you need to know on the front end that it's, uh, it is a process and it can sometimes be a tedious one. Um, and so you got to understand on the first, uh, in the first instance that you need to be patient, but the way every lawsuit kicks off is, uh, the adversary a plaintiff files a complaint. It's a legal document that sets forth the facts and the legal theory, um, that they think entitles them to recover money. That complaint has to be served. Um, that means it's delivered to you, uh, to your registered agent uh, for the business, and it's delivered to you. That is a critical event in the life of a lawsuit. Uh, from the time of service, and it varies by state, you have a certain amount of time to respond to that lawsuit, to file an answer to the allegations that says it didn't happen this way. These are all the reasons we're not at fault. Um, if you do not do that, there's a couple of steps to it, but ultimately you can wind up being found at fault for any amount of money that the plaintiff's attorney can prove up and that judgment can be entered against you. That is a really bad day for everyone involved. So when you get served, you need to let your insurance company know, um, you can tell your agent, you know, you can tell whoever, but you've got to get that to the insurance company. Now, you know, if you're a canal insured, you reported it to us early and you know by now, uh, you probably got the cell phone number for the claims professional you've been working with all along. So that's a real easy phone call to say, hey, by the way, we got papers delivered to us uh, today. But you've got to make that phone call. You've got to let your insurance company know that that, uh, that you've been served with that lawsuit. Um, failure to do that, to assume it's just going to go away or stick it in a drawer and hope nothing happens, that, that will absolutely bite you. Um, once that's done, once the complaint has been served, um, the lawyer that we hire to, to defend you will will give you a call and introduce him or herself and the team that will be working with you. Um, they will give you certain instructions about who you can talk to and who you can't. Um, without dwelling on that, those are very important instructions and you should follow them. Um, but you cooperate with the lawyer who calls you. It's going to be a little burdensome at the outset because there's a bunch of information that they need to do their job. Um, The best thing you can do is give them that information. Uh, It's kind of like that claim that you assume is not your fault. It's going to go away. Don't assume that 
oh, this isn't important. They don't need it. You need to get it to them. Um, get them everything they ask for. And if there's something that you think they ought to know about, go ahead and tell them. Doing all that on the front end will mean much less work uh, for you on the back end over the course of the lawsuit. Um, but typically, the way it'll work is the complaint is filed and served uh, 30 days or so, depending on the state later. Um, your lawyer will file an answer on your behalf. After that, it goes into what's called written discovery, which is both sides asking questions of each other and asking for documents. That's a timely process. Most of those have about a 30-day trigger uh, before a response is due. And a lot of times the lawyers will work with each other if those deadlines are hard to meet. Um, so that process will drag out for a while. Um, the next involvement you'll have you know, once you've produced all those documents, is you may be asked to give a deposition. Um, deposition is nothing like you've seen on TV, but it's basically answering questions from the other side under oath. Um, you'll get plenty of notice of that. You will work with uh, the lawyers that we've hired for you uh, ahead of time to kind of understand the types of questions that are coming and ways to approach them. Um, you know, the other side is as friendly as they may be during a deposition. They're trying to get information to help their case and hurt yours. So that does require uh, some some preparation. Um, you know, then moving toward the end of the case, the vast, vast majority of cases that are filed settle. They settle out of court. They don't go uh, to trial. Uh, very few cases these days go to trial, and that's for a number of reasons. But most of them settle. Uh, in most settlements, both sides are gritting their teeth a little bit, but um, it's a result uh, that makes the thing go away and everybody can go home, you know, I won't say happy, but maybe just a little bit grumpy. Uh, sometimes that settles just through negotiation. A lot of claims that come in are negotiated pretty quickly um, by our claims professionals and there's not much to it. Um, but once it goes into suit, it may be negotiated or it may require mediation. Uh, mediation is a more formal process where uh, independent third party uh, comes in to kind of help the two sides resolve their differences. It's non-binding. Nobody has to agree to anything, but um, that's, a, that's a sit down. Well, these days it's more of a virtual process, but that's a sit down and listen to the other side tell you all the holes in your case and you get a chance to tell them all the holes in theirs and you try to get it resolved um, but once that's done you know once a case is negotiated um, it'll settle you'll sign a document and uh, money will change hands and that'll be the end of that and you can get back on to, uh, to moving goods around the country well, that's great advice. Uh, thank you for walking us through that steps. It's uh, sure. it's a it's a long process, but uh, a necessary one. Two things that stuck out to me when you were uh, describing that for us is that how important that notice is. So um, even if I reported it to my insurance company, Canal Insurance, and I know I have an adjuster I'm in contact, but if I receive something. Um, and sometimes it's getting pretty tricky out there. It may even look like junk mail at first, but anything uh -huh. I get, that um, I need to report that in and, and not assume that my insurance company already has that and, and uh, right. is working on it because they may not know. That could be a, a suit. They may have the claim, but but not necessarily know that there's a suit out there, which would be two different things. Is that that's pretty correct to say. Would, would you agree on that? No, that's, yeah, that's absolutely correct. More often than not, the first person who's going to know that that lawsuit um, 
has been initiated is is our insured is the trucking company um we may if we've been involved uh from the beginning and we've been dealing with the other side or we have counsel already engaged sometimes we'll get a lawyer uh, for our insured before a lawsuit is actually filed Um, we may know it's coming but the legal requirement is that that uh, lawsuit is delivered to the person being sued uh, the person or a company, because a lot of times it's it's the driver and the company. Um, both of those folks, and I didn't say that earlier, but I should have, the driver and the company will both be served, and both of those people need to let us know. We have seen situations where the driver is served, and maybe the driver is no longer with the company. Maybe uh, they parted on bad terms. Uh, but that driver is served and never bothers to tell anybody uh, because the driver's moved away and is off the grid, but somebody found them and served them. And the next thing we hear is that default judgment that's already been entered against the driver. Um, that's a real scenario that has happened. So uh, keep in touch. Um, read your mail as hard as that is to do these days you're right mostly it's junk mail but if it looks even remotely like it has to do with that claim um, you need to let us know and keep taps on your driver Um, again we we tend to have our finger pretty much on the pulse and we may know it's coming in fact a lot of times we'll send you a letter saying please keep an eye out because this may be coming Um, but that's that's the most critical thing you can do is get that notice to us as quickly as as you get it. That's an excellent point there. We 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 were talking about the trucking company itself, but a lot of times it's the driver that's uh, served the suit, and if uh, especially if they're no longer there, that could cause some problems. Making sure that's uh, properly forwarded to Canal and uh, defended for sure. For sure. Uh, another thing that came up is uh, that I, I think it's important to just emphasize once more is the cooperation part when you're walking us through the stages of being sued is that if we get sued and we go back to that first scenario we were rear-ended out on the interstate and sometimes we just might be like I you know I, I have nothing to hide here I wasn't at fault I'm tired of dealing with this and I just put it in a drawer and I'll get to it later and if I miss that 30 day or whatever that window is for that uh, venue that I'm being sued in then I think you mentioned that really puts puts me in a bad spot, right? Yeah, for sure. It, what, what it does, the, the legal effect of it is if you do not answer, then the law says you've admitted everything in that complaint. So it could say, you know, that you were driving 90 miles an hour down the wrong side of the road when you weren't even in the same state. It doesn't matter. The fact that you don't answer admits that what they say in the complaint is true. So if, if you want to fight it, that's your opportunity to fight it. And, and I guess it's also important to note that you need to fight it uh, through your lawyer and working with your insurance company, not directly. Um, a lot of times being delivered that paper can be a pretty infuriating thing because you weren't at fault. Um, and you can't believe that anyone would come after you for this. The thing to do in that situation is not to pick up the phone and call the lawyer who signed it and tell them what you think of them. Um, again, unfortunately, that's one we've learned from experience. Um, all that does is more often than not make them dig in and want to fight you even more. So um, you pick up the phone and talk to your claims professional at Canal and feel free to vent as much as you want to because um, I guarantee you they're just as frustrated as you are that it that it came to something. But um, yeah, if you want a chance to refute what they say about you, 
you got to let us know because we do that through the law. That's great. Great advice, Paul. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paul as much as I did and gained some valuable insight into the importance of reporting claims and handling accidents. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Hauling Notes. Want to make sure you never miss a Holland Notes episode? Head to the link in the show notes to sign up for email notifications.